We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by Nick Filato. Tonight we're here to break down the all 22 of the Giants offense in their week 14 loss to the Arizona Cardinals. Before we dive into it, Nick, I want to ask you, how are you feeling about the offense in this game and in general after you've now seen the all 22 film? Still don't feel that great about it, to be honest. I still think that the offense is somewhat unimaginative. I feel like there are way too many curl routes and routes that aren't breaking horizontally to set up the receivers for in a position that they could really create yards after the catch. I feel like a lot of the routes are just run up field and turn around. So if I do catch the ball, I'm going to get tackled right away. It's kind of the things we've beat up about Jason Garrett over the duration of this season. As for Daniel Jones, I felt like the entire game he looked tepid, even in the beginning of the game. I know he rolled right that one time and threw a pass to the sideline. I still felt like it didn't really look the same. There were times where I feel like he would have bailed in the pocket if he could, but he just couldn't. And I don't think you can really trot that kind of product out there again. I think it's somewhat of a liability, and you're putting your franchise quarterback into a spot where he can further his injury, which would be very, very unfortunate as well. I don't feel great about anything I watched. I think the Giants offense got outcoached by Vance Joseph. And the Arizona defense, I don't think it's encouraging. And now I just hope that the team gets 
humbled a little bit. They go and they create a lot of contingency plans. So if the Cleveland Browns do the similar thing that Vance Joseph and that defense did, they're going to be able to counter it and make adjustments because you didn't really see that in this game as much, at least not effectively. I think they tried to counter. It just didn't really necessarily work. So I'm really hoping that the Giants can kind of overcome in their next matchup. But this All-22 wasn't really all that encouraging. Yeah, honestly, it was a bit more disappointing than I thought I would feel. Usually I come away after the All-22 with more positives, and I did feel that way after watching the All-22 on the defense because after the game, Joe Judge says we were outplayed, we were outcoached. Well, I'll give it to him on the offensive side of the ball. I think Jason Garrett was absolutely outcoached by Vance Joseph in this one just to an incredible degree, not only from the get-go throughout the game and then even in the second half when you would expect maybe some adjustments to be made that weren't there ultimately but on the other side of the ball I didn't feel that way watching this Giants defense we'll get to more of that on the Giants on the Giants defense podcast and it's funny because me and Nick talk off pod about this offense for 30 minutes earlier today and we were like this is perfect banner this would be actually perfect for the podcast we'll never be able to replicate it but we're trying to put into words like how we feel watching this offense on the all 22 and I think Nick summed it up very well my issues with Garrett from an overall standpoint, come from the philosophical idea of trying to move the change, control the clock, string together 10 play drives that chew up the clock, and then ultimately when you get in the red zone in the constricted area, you come up with just the perfect plays and the perfect execution to get seven instead of three. And it really is spawned, and when you watch it, when you watch the tape, you see it so often with Garrett's offense from the overall standpoint, but it's then it's the individual stuff that really bothers me as well. When you have a game like this where Vance Joseph comes out at times with a 4-4 look and he comes out at times with just press man and one high safety, and yet you see Jason Garrett counter it with these whip routes or with you know routes breaking all to the sideline. You even saw a couple routes where the Giants seemed to, at the top of the screen, run these two deep curls that ran to the same depth and the defensive backs were just draped all over the receivers, and when you watch it, you start to see that it's not just the philosophical issue of him not having an idea of, you know, more routes that break over the middle, more routes that break, you know, even the simple times when they when they have two high receivers at the top of a screen, they run two deep curls. Instead, why don't you run one deep in and one deep post just to space things out more? Mills concept, that's called. Mills concept, exactly. That was a big part of the Pat Shermer playbook, the Mills concept. It was something I really enjoyed watching. It puts a lot of pressure on the safety. It puts a lot of pressure on the cornerbacks. And that can go up against a middle of the field open or a middle of the field close safety because of the middle of the field close, you're putting that safety into conflict. And if it's a middle of the field open, you may get lucky and right. spring that deep post right in the middle of the field and beat both those safeties. And yeah, and it, it allows you to potentially get these chunk yardage plays. That's the overall stuff that I have the issue with Garrett on. But really... It's the individual plays. It's a lack of adjustments. It's this constant idea that, you know, our offense is this way. We rely on this quick passing game. And it came up too many times in this game. I do agree with Nick that, you know, Jones didn't look himself. That's fair to say. I also still think that Jones should be put back out there if they want any chance to still win this division. I don't see anything with Colt McCoy. I have no interest in watching another Colt McCoy game. I have no interest in expecting the best there because this Browns team is playing better football than the Seahawks are playing right now, and the Ravens are playing better football than the Seahawks are playing right now. They will not get another perfect game with the interceptions and the fumbles that they got in that Seattle game, including one on that third and one that was very lucky. The Seahawks could have easily scored there on that drive, changed the whole game. 
and you just can't expect to get a per another perfect game like that like the Giants pitched in that one from the defensive side of the ball and that's what you're asking for with McCoy but my issue that I had on tape more than I ever expected because it's not I went into this game knowing full well that I wasn't going to like what I saw from Garrett because that's just how it is watching this Garrett offense. But Jones, man, Jones was the issue for me here. And I know he's playing hurt, but his reads, the reads are just a, becoming a major issue. And again, it's so hard to say like how much of this is because he didn't have a full week of practice and he's playing hurt and he, you know, the and, offensive line and got the pressure and the pressure, the offensive line got totally beat. But then you look at some of the reads where, you know, they run that mesh earlier in the game on that early third third down and they're backed up all the way on their own eight yard line and this is after they come up with that fourth and goal stop to really give the momentum back to them after the forced fumble sack that Arizona returned and they got stopped on the fourth and goal and you know he makes a really bad read here to throw this mesh route to Ingram it's really the last place you want to go with the football here and it costs the Giants here it's an incomplete pass and they have to punt the football and you just see another example of this much later in the game from Jones where he misses the Deion Lewis wide open read you also see another one later in the game on the third and one where Jones tries the vertical route to Sterling Shepard if you watch that play on tape the Giants run the slant flat, and the slant by Ingram puts the two defenders in conflict. They get natural picked, and Caden Smith is wide open. It's not only an easy first, it's probably a 30-yard gain. It might go for longer than what that slot fade try to Shepard goes for. So a lot of the reads from Jones, the post-snap processing, I feel like there was regression there in this game. I definitely feel like there was, and that could be a product of what Vance Joseph was doing, just running heavy press man and also using the double stunts on both sides of the line of scrimmage to kind of take advantage of the protection in front of Daniel Jones and the fact that Daniel Jones didn't have his legs did not allow him to kind of flee and then make the defense pay and keep them honest the defense could just pin their ears back and just come after him every time they felt like the Giants were passing the football because the Giants and Daniel Jones couldn't use his legs which he relies on quite often if we're going to be really honest and if we're going to also be pretty blunt about it the receivers not being able to get off the press man was a big issue and that goes to the receiver skill set which was definitely a hindrance to the Giants in this game and also Jason Garrett for not creating more stacked formations where these receivers can receive a free release and kind of create automatic separation off the line of scrimmage to where they wouldn't have to be pressed within that five yard limit you can do that by using a bunch of receivers in bunch or stacks something like that to kind of help give these receivers a better opportunity to create separation. Yeah, I think you bring up an excellent point there, Nick, because I wanted to talk a little bit about the first thing you said, which is the receivers not being able to beat press, and we'll get to that. But I think the second thing you said is a really interesting point there. It's that, you know, as a coach, it's your job to adjust to what you're seeing. When you have a play that early in the game, like the Giants had, where they had that three-by-one set, and they ran the Ingram whip route that got no separation, Golden Tate runs some kind of route up the slot on the left hand, uh, and out of the three-by-one, it gets absolutely no separation. I don't know what the hell that was. And they run the deep curl on the far, you know, on the boundary, gets no separation. And so he has to come back to this well-guarded slant on the three-by-one. You look at that play and you say, okay, well, maybe, just maybe the next time the Cardinals show. Because on that play, by the way, we referenced it earlier, the Cardinals literally have one high safety and just play pure press man. There's no one in the middle of the field but that single high safety. And yet there's one route that's breaking into the middle of the field. It's that Slayton slant. 
And not only is that just flawed from a philosophical standpoint to have one in-breaking route when there's only one guy in the middle of the field and it's a high safety, but also, like you said, if you see that and you see how it doesn't work because this slant was well-guarded, why not come back with what Nick just said? Some bunch formation. Stack these receivers at the line of scrimmage in a bunch formation so they can create natural separation so you can't just press man them. And we didn't see a lot of that. We didn't. See, I don't know if we saw any of that in this game. We saw a couple bunch formations. I didn't. Now, there were a couple tight stacks, I believe, but it wasn't something that was common. It didn't seem like it was an adjustment because there were way too many times where they just came out in this three-by-one set literally cornerbacks just breathing in their face hopefully they don't have holotosis or anything because the giants receivers might have just passed out but they were right on top of them and then throughout the entire play the cornerbacks stuck on them and the giants receivers couldn't get off of the press and they couldn't create any separation and some of these route concepts didn't really necessarily allow them to create all that much separation either so really it was just an entire failure by this offense there's a lot of blame to go around i don't think it's all on jason garrett all on daniel jones all on the receivers it should be divided pretty evenly among all of them, but Jason Garrett is the leader of them, so he would probably burden the most. Yeah, I would say, based on a conversation we had earlier with a guest that's going to be joining the show and the podcast that you'll hear later this week, that I am going to selfishly, or not selfishly, selflessly, shamelessly promote at some point right before the ad breaks. Coaching is a major factor in wins and losses in this league. In his mind, talent level across the board in the NFL is pretty similar, a lot more similar than people think. And it comes down to coaching. So I would still put most of the blame on Garrett from that standpoint. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about Darius Slayton's inability to beat press man. This was, you're looking for flaws in Slayton's game. I think a lot of people have criticized Slayton this year, said he's not a one, one, he's a number two, or he's not even a number two. He's He's an overrated receiver. And I think until this game, I didn't really see too many flaws in Slayton's game. I thought he was kind of held back more so by quarterback play and more so coaching. In this game, they found a way to get to Slayton, and it was press man coverage. Early on, the play we talked about on the reaction pod, that third and five earlier in the game when they were at the midfield point, the second third down, the key third down, this one's on Slayton because Slayton can't get to the vertical, can't get vertical quick enough for Daniel Jones to throw the deep out to Golden Tate, which is the read he has here. And he has to come back and look to his left. And of course, on the left side of the field, the Giants are running some crappy double curl and the sack comes. And honestly, to stick up for Jason Garrett here, he has a very tight formation from the hash to yeah. inside the numbers. It's pretty much a bunch formation. And there's only one wide receiver on the line of scrimmage. So this is giving two wide receivers a free release. And that one wide receiver is Darius Slayton. But he gets jammed so bad by Byron Murphy that it screws up the entire timing of this sale concept with the pivot kind of being the the pivot inside, the going outside, kind of being the uh, the flat route. And Daniel Jones, you can see he's looking, he wants to throw the deep seven route to Golden Tate, who has a little bit of separation, but he can't because Byron Jones is could undercut it because Darius Slayton can't get upfield like he's supposed to because of that press man. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. But I want to talk about something else you mentioned. Because in a game like this, where it's just a complete offensive failure, it's not just on the quarterback. It's not just on the play caller. It's not just on the wide receiver for not getting separation. It's on the offensive line. The offensive line had a really difficult game. And you mentioned that earlier. So I want to talk a little bit about those offensive line struggles. But before we do that, I want to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. But before we do that, I'm going to make my shameless selfless or selfish i don't know what i would call it plug all three all three of the above friends of the podcast because guess what later this week i teased it on the reaction pod i said you better stay tuned something big's coming and later this week 
We're going to drop an interview we had, an exclusive interview that we had a lot of fun doing with OCU Manura, two-time Super Bowl champion OCU Manura, one of my favorite players growing up. It was a joy to talk to OC. We talked to OC about the 2020 Giants, our love affair with Patrick Graham that he confirmed and explained why. He's on the same page with us. We talked about some players who stood out to him from this defense. We talked about his playing days with the New York Football Giants. It's a really fun interview, and it's going to be dropping later this week. We're also going to do another podcast like we did last week with Ed Smith from the Arizona Cardinals, previewing the Cardinals. This will not be with a former Browns player, but we will be previewing the Giants-Browns game, a must-win game for the Giants, essentially a playoff game under the lights, a big opportunity for the Giants, in my mind, to get back in this race. So two more pods after these two come this week. It's a busy week for the Big Blue Banter podcast. But on that note, let's take a quick break to hear a word from Nicholas Filato bringing to you our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control of payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Due to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different. You could say that again. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Because right now, having a nice ice-cold Pepsi will make your football watching experience that much greater. It will take it to the next level. And sometimes the next level is what you need to unlock a great day. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watchers. All right, Nick, so let's talk about what I teased before the break, and that's the offensive line play in this one. I actually thought, and I listened to these Giants assistant coach interviews or whatever you want to call them, but the press, I don't know what they're called. They're Zoom interviews or Zoom pressers now, and usually you get nothing from them, but I actually thought Dave DeGoogs, I'm just calling him the Googs at this point. De Gugliamo. Yes, because I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't have... An Italian accent. I can't do it well. I'm not even going to try to. I'm just going to call him Googs. I like the like the nickname Googs or the Googs. So I thought the Googs actually said some really interesting things and went inside football a little bit. And it's cool to hear. He's known as a really straight shooter, straightforward guy. I, didn't, I mean, I'm sure if the Giants really 
like vetted him vetted this these interviews they probably wouldn't be too thrilled with some of the inside stuff he was he was giving but for us junkies of the x's and o's and people who literally do this for a podcast it was great stuff and one thing he said was he actually feels like this wasn't something new the giants have been struggling all year with the te stunt but they couldn't use but they've found a way to kind of negate it or you know, look okay in it earlier this year because they've used the center to help. But Arizona is running so many double TE stunts. The center, Nick Gates, wasn't able to be used to help. And those double TE stunts are really what killed the Giants in this game. So Nick, why don't you break down to us what a double TE stunt is and why the Giants had so much trouble with it and why it really played a major impact in the offensive ineptitude. Yeah, so a TE stunt is a tackle and stunts. That means the tackle is going to be the penetrator and the end is going to be the looper. Now, a double TE stunt is just a TE stunt on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So what that means is the tackle, so say the three technique, could be a two eye, it could be anything like that, but say it's a three technique just for this conversation, he's on the outside shoulder of the guard. What he's going to do is he's going to split the guard and tackle and try to occupy both of them, while the end, could be a nine technique, what have you, comes around as the looper, goes into that A-gap. We saw this so many times against Kevin Zeitler in this game. Kevin Zeitler was guilty for many different reasons. It's not necessarily, I don't want to just sit here and bash Zeitler. He had a really bad game, but he was guilty of riding Zach Allen too far up into the line of scrimmage. Zach Allen would get a lot of depth, and there was no transition between Cameron Fleming, Matt Parrott, whoever it was, it was both of them, and Kevin Zeitler to kind of pass off Zach Allen and then go and take that, that looping end. You didn't see that. And that's basically a tackle end stunt. And end tackle stunt is the opposite. The end's going to be the penetrator and the tackle's going to be a looper. So the end would shoot hard to kind of occupy the tackle and the guard, and the looper would be the ta- uh, the defensive tackle. He would loop around. So every time you hear on this podcast TE or ET, it's just end tackle or tackle end. Yeah, it's a great way to break it down. And in this case, as Googs was saying, it was the TE stunts and was the double TE stunts. And that was a big issue for the Giants, and he even didn't mention by name. And guess what? I'm going to give Kevin Zeitler a pass. Like, we can talk about how bad his game was, and he did have a really bad game in pass protection. But you know what? It's the first time we're saying that yeah. all season long. So what does that tell you? Does that tell you we need to panic? We need to cut this guy and get some cap space back, like some are suggesting? Not me. It doesn't tell me that, at least. But one thing that Goog said, and he didn't mention Zeitler by name, but I thought it was really interesting. He said, you know, when dealing with this type of game plan that the Cardinals had, you know, a really aggressive game plan, a lot of double T stunts, a lot of four by four formations, a lot of press man, a lot of pressure, a lot of, you know, no challenge, you know, don't worry at all about the deep passing game because we know it's not coming. We know you're running a million curls all the time. And when that happens, he said, sometimes the older guys, like Zeitler, he didn't mention Zeitler, I'm ad-libbing that. He said, sometimes the older guys, the tempo of the game wears on them. And I think that was definitely the case here with Zeitler. Yeah, I would say so too. And there was also just good scheme by Vance Joseph. I broke down a play, put it up on Twitter. The third and three in the first quarter, 9.23 left. Arizona comes out sugaring the A-gap with Jordan Hicks and Isaiah Simmons. And Isaiah Simmons bails here. He drops into coverage, but his presence forces Kevin Zeitler to just be cognizant of him. So when the play is snapped, Zeitler steps towards the center and then realizes, okay, Simmons isn't coming, and then he engages Allen. But that just gives Allen enough time to press vertical and occupies all of Zeitler's attention because Zeitler has to make sure that he doesn't get around or give up that half man completely. But what that does is allow the looper to come right underneath. And that's another reason why that 
tackle and stunt worked so damn well because Zach Allen had a Zach Allen had a phenomenal game. Not even just because of this, just because the run game. Vance Joseph put him up against tight ends basically the entire game when he would come out in the 4-4 type of defense something that the Giants didn't necessarily seem too prepared for they would be in 4-4 and any type of run Zach Allen would just collapse on Levine Toilolo or Caden Smith and that's not a referendum on either of those two players I mean Zach Allen's like 285 pounds that's a hard guy to block and you're there's so many bodies inside of that box because you have four linebackers and you have four down linemen that's an eight-man box just off that and let alone the safeties are kind of creeping around and if the Giants were tight there's cornerbacks in the area too so it was just a really well-executed scheme by Vance Joseph and there were just way too many bodies and credit to Wayne Gallman too man I know we'll get into him a little bit but Wayne Gallman made a lot of runs that shouldn't have been like four, even four-yard gains, Wayne Gallman would end up picking up four yards just because he would slither and find a crevice to just squeeze through. So I, I just wanted to tip my cap to him as well. Yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that. You know, that's a great way that they were able to use these TE stunts with these tackles looping in by sugaring, as Nick said, the A-gap. And that means having two linebackers basically bluffing that they're going to blitz the A-gap. And by the A-gap, we mean right between the center and the guards. And it makes it so, like you said, those guards have to at least consider for a split second. And that's all it takes for that TE stunt to work. That was excellent scheming by Vance Joseph and just totally outclassed in my mind. But Jason Garrett just totally outclassed in this regard. And also you have to look at how the ends are lined up on that specific play. Remember, third and three, nine twenty-three left in the first quarter. They're very wide. They're wide nine. So if you're Cam Fleming, if you're the tackle, you're going to have to get, you're going to have to kind of get a lot of depth to to get out towards him you're gonna have to kind of jump out there pretty quickly in your set and that's just going really not allow you to do any kind of transition when Zach Allen gets pushed into you because you have to not allow number 43 Hassan Reddick to beat you around the edge so it's just a really well executed play and then Hassan Reddick does a good job selling it he doesn't just come right with the loop he kind of takes a couple steps vertical gets Cameron Fleming to keep dropping back getting depth and then he just comes right as Zach Allen crosses kind of his face he just comes right underneath him. It's a very well-timed stuff. I think timing is really, really a huge part of this as well. And this was not the only one. There's a reason yes. why there was eight sacks in this game. Not all of them were stunts, but there were like six or seven really well-executed stunts in this game. The game that the play that I'm going over right now wasn't even a sack. It was an incomplete pass, but it was probably one of the best schemed ones that they had. And then Marcus Golden was also kind of toying with Andrew Thomas on wasn't necessarily a coffee house stunt, which is this fake kind of stunt between the tackle and the end. You can look it up. Brandon Thorne did a nice article about it for USA Football a while ago. But Marcus Golden, there were several reps where he would take a hard inside jab step with his inside leg. And Andrew Thomas would think a stunt was coming because they ran so many stunts. And then all Marcus Golden did was double swipe his outside shoulder, turn the corner, and then just go and hit the quarterback. They were in the offensive line's head. And they thought, oh, it's definitely going to be a stunt. No, it was just a fake, and now I just gave up my outside. That's something yeah. we saw a lot of. And it's, uh, it, was, it was discouraging, and it was humbling. It was, it was a humbling watch, to be honest. It was. It definitely was a humbling watch for the Giants. I'm sure it was a humbling experience for these offensive linemen and for the offense. And what Nick was referring to, if you want to look it up, that article by Brandon Thornton, he's talking about the coffeehouse stunts and what that exactly means um, from the defensive side of the ball. But I wanted to talk about something else just from a 30,000 foot view when you have a play like the one you broke down Nick where you have two wide nine ends you have three other guys on the line of scrimmage and you have two linebackers peppering the a gaps 
you just can't come out with four receivers and run nothing breaking over the middle of the field because that's just playing perfectly into what the defense wants you to do. If you're going to have these routes where you don't challenge the defense in the middle of the field when they have literally nobody in the middle of the field but a single high safety and everyone else is press man and you have two linebackers literally peppering the A-gap, it just it doesn't seem like the best way to counter this showing on defense we're in the kitchen right now guys we're sugar in the a gap we're peppering the a gap we're going to be salt in the a gap soon it's going to be a lot of fun but you're right man i mean there's you you want quicker routes but again the arizona cardinals corners are glued to these receivers that's why you probably want them to be tighter bunched stacked and then maybe create some sort of miscommunication within their banjo coverage if they execute that with switches to kind of help break somebody open which is something we've seen this year from jason garrett it just did not happen in this game yeah the routes the three routes at the top of the screen on this specific play are just really hard to watch the whip route that gets no separation and then whatever is going on with the two wide receivers neither you know neither breaking over the middle and just not challenging the single high safety in ways that you should be challenging a single high safety if you get that look you need to be pressing them horizontally over the middle or vertically you know with deep posts and things of that nature but I want to touch on something else you said which was the game that Zach Allen had and it was really interesting because DeGoogs also talked about the Giants struggles in the run game and really ultimately the Giants didn't actually struggle that much in the run game they averaged 4.7 yards per carry and like Nick said I actually think this is one of those games and I know some of you might kill me especially the fans on Twitter hopefully some of you will be able to understand and appreciate this or just at least understand my perspective on this i think this is a game where saquon barkley would have had a much worse game than the uh than wayne gallman had because the holes weren't exactly there the blocking wasn't exactly where it needed to be and like you said wayne gallman did a lot of this individually on a lot of plays where i think barkley would have tried to bounce and he would have got strung out and they would have turned into negative gains or no gains and i think this is one of those rare times where it was better to actually have gallman on the field to some extent not to a full extent because you still lose the home run ability in a and again, you know, on an offense that has literally zero home run ability at this time, based on scheme, based on quarterback play, and based on what's going on right now with the receivers. But ultimately, I think part of why the Cardinals were able to have some success and really limit the Giants from any big plays in the running game was something DeGoog said. And he said, defensively, the Cardinals put a great look that negated our number one run play that we like to use and that we've had success on, and that's a downhill gap scheme. Goog said they played the D that prevents it so well with a two-eye shade and a seven-tech that eliminates some of our double teams. And the seven-tech is what Nick referred to, Zach Allen, playing over the tight end. That's the seven-tech, and you just can't expect Levine Toilolo, Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, to block down on a 280 pounder and it does an excellent job and so why don't you break down a little bit schematically what he means when he says they played a defense with a two-eye shade and a seven tech yeah two-eye shade is going to be on the inside portion and i'm imagining he's referring to the play side guard so the inside portion of the play side guard remember a three tech is on the outside shoulder of a guard the two-eye shade will be on the inside shoulder it's just a little variation just a little different off of a one tech but it just forces blocking angles to be a little bit more mucked up I guess you could say and then that seven tech I mean you have to rely on a tight end to block somebody like Zach Allen like I said before and when you run those counter type of plays with the two guys coming across it's difficult to kind of have success because there's so many bodies in that area not to mention the Arizona Cardinals was very, very obvious. They watched film. And when Marcus Golden was that outside guy, if he was playing nine or even if he was seven, especially when he was the contained defender, so when he was that nine 
technique, he would crash down so far inside and make the alley so damn narrow that the pulling guard would come and he would hit him and there was really nowhere for Wayne Gallman to go because that seven tech who would be inside of him would also just not allow those tight ends to kind of down block, double team down block on him. Now, if it was Andrew Thomas, yeah, you can have a little bit more success, but Andrew Thomas isn't necessarily going to get out to a seven tech. That's where Andrew Thomas is blocking a five tech or something like that on these types of plays. So it just really forced the Giants Giants hand because this is the Giants very common type of play not to mention those linebackers Jordan Hicks especially mm-hmm. you could tell he watched his film every time he saw the guard in that H-back pull you, we all know the play we talked about it all year the counter downhill type of running play where Wayne Gallman takes a step to the to the weak side and then he comes strong side real quick and finds that hole to the outside and follows his blockers those linebackers filled so quickly. Jordan Hicks was right there basically every time. And Gallman didn't have a lot of space because of Zach Allen and because of Marcus Golden keeping that alley very, very narrow and forcing the Giants' hand to really just struggle to find any kind of running room whatsoever with that specific play. That's why you didn't see it a lot down the stretch. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they had to adjust, and even Goog said that. But, you know, part of my issue with Garrett is sometimes even on the good stuff, you see a lot of the same stuff. And what I mean by that is... The big play they hit to Golden Tate on the third and four, they're running a play, a variation of a play. It's pretty much the same exact play that they've run and had success with earlier this season. It's also a play they ran earlier in the game and almost had a big play on a deep pass again down the slot to Golden Tate, but Byron Murphy made a play. And I just wonder, and what, what I mean, what what's so similar about it is they're running a deep over with Ingram with the hopes of Ingram's deep over occupying the safety so they have the slot vertical. But how many times can... Garrett put this on tape before teams are going to adjust and that's just how I kind of feel about the Jason Garrett offense he really does and maybe it's because again we can think about all the excuses the truncated offseason you know do you want to go with what you're practicing and what you're repping out in practice and what you feel your guys are comfortable with but as a coach in my mind you should be looking to mimic what other offenses are doing well you should be looking to vary your game plan week to week and when you put the same thing on tape over and over and this is a good example of it because we're not this isn't even the bad stuff the bad stuff is those constant whip routes the bad stuff is those you know curls at the exact same depth that seem like they're just three feet of two receivers three feet apart breaking to the same depth and this is the good stuff you know the deep over by ingram that occupies the safety to open up that slot for but how many times are they going to be able to put this on tape before it's taken away or before the safety baits jones into thinking that he's breaking on ingram and then jumps the route up the slot uh you know up the slot yeah that would be that would be difficult to do and garrett to his credit only really runs this against middle of the field closed safety type of looks and he really puts that safety into conflict the thing i do like about this play from jason garrett is if you look at the alignment the outside receivers on both sides are about seven six to seven yards off the numbers they're really using every bit of the field and like you said you the objective of this play is to draw that safety down on Evan Ingram. But say that safety doesn't get drawn on Evan Ingram, that's going to open up Evan Ingram. So it's kind of there. There are two vertical options on this play that are that are uh, that are advantageous to the offense if you block everything up right, which they did for this specific play. Even though Daniel Jones still almost got killed, this was a phenomenal throw by Daniel Jones. So was the other one to Golden Tate. So the one reason why I I do like this play, though, is because there are vertical elements where both of them are kind of schemed against a specific defense that can be successful. But I want to see more of of these types of plays against different types of defenses is something that I will say. 
I think that's a fair assessment of it. It's not so like this is it's not exactly like I can agree with so let me try to explain this better. I agree with you hundred percent with what you said because you know, more of these type of double verts that put the defense and put the safety in conflict, I am all game for at any time. It could be first and 10. I don't give a crap second and 10. I don't give a crap third and three. It doesn't matter to me. You should always be looking for chunk yardage plays. But I just want some better, some more variations of these of these plays. I don't want to put the same thing on tape over and over because eventually I do think teams will adjust. Maybe the simple adjustment by them will be just to not play so much single eye on these third down situations because they know the Giants will keep leaning on this play. It could be something as simple as that it just it seems like it's a lot of relying on what he's used all season in this offense it does seem very use the word stale I think earlier you might have used that word that's kind of the word that comes to mind with this Jason Garrett offense it's a lot of the same stuff I think I said unimaginative unimaginative I'll use the word stale stale okay yeah I mean like I like I've said on the podcast I'm not team okay we got to burn Jason Garrett to the ground and we can't have him around no matter what I think this there can be adjustments that can be made I'm not pleased with what this offense has done I think that's very fair to say because the Giants are 31st in scoring right now. They're 31st in yardage, I believe, as well. And more importantly, even in yardage, just total yardage, which they are, 20-plus plays. Yes. The chunk plays that win you games. They don't have enough chunk plays. 31st. And and one thing I will say if to kind of be devil's advocate is are there playmakers that can get those 20-yard plays? I think there are. Me too. They're not as, as good as a lot of other teams. I would say. I think if you had Saquon Barkley, you would have much more 20-yard plays. I think that would also open up the passing game as well. But that doesn't take away from what Dan always says from a philosophical standpoint, that there aren't a lot of deep shots in this offense. And that's something that I would like to see a little bit more, especially since the blocking has been a little bit better. Now, in the beginning of the season, it wasn't there. And I'm actually willing to, I don't want to say give him a pass, because I think you have to kind of still solidify and come away with something. But the fact that the blocking early on in the in the year was so atrocious could be one reason why there hasn't been as many 20 yard plus plays if i'm going to play devil's advocate it's fair i understand that we've made excuses all year for this offense and why it is what it's at yeah but there's only so many excuses that and then it wears thin for me that's fair this offense does not use enough mills concept you brought up a great point earlier when we talked about that just use more mills just simple put use more mills i don't want to see these double curls use the mills instead it'll never be a worse option and it's not really the deep 20 yard completions or the shots or the chances jones is taking it's the route's it's the route combinations and the design that gives you the chance to take those shots. Yes. It seems like when they take the shots, it's because they use max protect and they have a two-man route for the shot. Or they're, you know, like you said, they get the single high look they were just waiting for and praying to get so they can allow themselves to take this shot down the field with the deep crosser to Ingram. That opens up the slot for it. But you shouldn't mm-hmm. be waiting for it. You should be dictating to the defense what they have. You know, you should be dictating always as an offense. You should not be adjusting or, I'm sorry, responding to what the defense gives you because you can dictate teams dictate the saints have dictated their entire career that's why devry henderson and ted ginn and you know those types have been on every single roster because they want to shoot that guy up the seam vertically and and stretch a defense and that's why you watch andy reed call plays and there's receivers just running open all the time because and now of course they have the talent they have a different set of skill players but you know what i'll look around this league man and we can talk people can talk all they want about how the giants don't have good skill players but you can i 
I will take Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton, that four treat that foursome over a lot of teams right now. A would, lot of teams. I would love to do that that kind of uh, yeah. experiment. To it be would honest, be interesting. We're not gonna do it now, but you take it yeah. over the Jets, you take Easily. it over the Washington football team for Easily. sure. You wouldn't take it over Dallas, you would take it over Philly. You take it over Philly. Yes. They don't have the guys, and Rager's not playing good football. You wouldn't take it over Green Bay, but a case can be made because it's really just Adams and nothing there and Rogers magic. How dare you disparage Robert Tunyon? <laughs> you take it for sure over what Detroit's putting out there right now without Galladay. You wouldn't take it over Minnesota because Jefferson's the man and Thielen's really good, and I mm-hmm. think that's enough to rather I'd rather have that. And kind of friend of the podcast, Irv Smith Irv Jr. Irv Smith Jr. <laughs> you... You would take it over the Bears. Allen Robinson's not enough. That's all they got there. So now we've already just gone through two divisions. We won't go through everyone now, but we've gone through two divisions, and you take it over almost the majority of teams. I'd rather the Giants skill players. So as would I. I yeah. just don't buy that argument, man. I think that if the Giants ran better route combinations in this offense, it'd be better for Jones, and it would be better for the offense in general. But I will also say this to your point: the burn it down, the what do we do from here? I don't have much confidence moving forward with Jones and Garrett paired together. I would have more confidence with Jones and Shermer paired together. I would have more confidence with Jones and Jay Gruden paired together. I would have more confidence with Jones and a lot of coordinators paired together. But Jones and Garrett paired together, this is not just fully an indicament on Garrett. It's also an indicament on Jones for me. I don't think he's a good fit for Garrett at all. I don't think their skills mesh together well at all. And it is a problem for me. It's a really big problem because it's looking very likely to me right now that they're going to status quo this thing with Gettleman, Jones, and Garrett back for next season. And I don't want to look at that ceiling to me is, is starting to frustrate me, Nick, because you know they won four games in a row. God bless. They might end the season out of the playoffs with the 10th pick. And we can't just sit here and call that a success because Giants Twitter tells us we have to. We have to really look at this thing and break it down and think like, is this okay to really go into another season with this? I'm just not so sure. I'm really not so sure. I can't sit here and say that I'm so sure either. But I also don't think change for change's sake is always a good thing. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Obviously, I want to see... I don't want to see Daniel Jones keep throwing it into tight windows on every single concept because there's not a lot of horizontal breaking routes. I want to see more three tiered type of route concepts where you have someone deep stretching vertical someone horizontal kind of going like a deep post a drag and then a dig route or something Mm -hmm. like that something that's going to put two levels of the defense into conflict you're also going to need time to do that but i i like again i think it's a problem with some of the personnel i also think it is a problem with the play caller i don't think that they should throw everything away to the wind i think everything should be considered though you, do you, yeah. under, you understand where I'm coming I, I from? I totally understand what you're saying. And I'm not saying I want to just throw everything to the wind. I don't think you are either. What I'm yeah. saying is I want to explore all op- opportunities I, and possibilities. And like I said, I think on the Reaction Podcast, you should always do that. Yeah. Especially if you're 31st. You should always explore yes. opportunities. But you don't just replace for replace's sake. No, I agree. But the first thing I would do is if I don't actually have a shot at upgrading quarterback in this draft, and we won't go into that now, <laughs> but we will at some point because – I don't think with if Jones ends the season like he's like he's trending right now, I don't think you can just walk into next season like we got it, we got our guy, we can't even consider one in the first round with our top ten pick. You have to always be considering with what he's put on tape through twenty five games. It's not very pretty. It's just not very pretty. Like as somebody who as us who only watch one quarterback, we can easily make excuses for him. We can easily just look at the good and have it sometimes maybe cloud our minds and, and overwhelm us to an extent of like, you know, we're not seeing all thirty two, but I know for a fact that there that he has not played that great football in my opinion. 
over the course of his career so far. There can be excuses made for it. And obviously, we see moments like that dig route to Shepard when he's backed up on his own two in this game, and it's third and 15 or whatever it was, and he drives the ball for 24 yards and throws an absolute seed. You see those flashes from Jones, and you're like, there is franchise quarterback in him. But those flashes need to be more than flashes through 25 games in my mind. And that's not to say I don't think they can become that. Look at Ryan Tannehill, man. Just look at that, you know, and he's not the only example of that. But when you have a top 10 pick and you haven't shown it yet, you at least need to consider it. So we'll get to that. But I do think, honestly, I'm very close to the point of not change to make a change, but Jason Garrett should be out as Giants offense quarter next season. They can do a lot better for Daniel Jones. They can have a better fit for Daniel Jones. And I can't watch this offense again for another season. This is somehow worse to watch. It's somehow worse to watch this offense to me than it was to watch that final Ben McAdoo year. And that's crazy to that's think a about. statement, yeah. But that year... At least that year, there were excuses that made a lot more sense to me. The offense line was an absolute travesty. Jerry Reese had totally botched that situation. That was the year he went in with Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers. This year, the offensive line has played better with the exception of this game. And they're running the ball better. That year, they couldn't generate even a yard in the run game. This year, they're averaging 4.7, even an off game. That year, they had Odell Beckham and basically nothing else out there. They had Shepard. He was playing hurt. And they didn't have, you know, and they had, they had Ingram there, but they weren't utilizing Ingram. Ingram's, that was, was Ingram's best season, wasn't it? It was teched by, by the, you know, yeah, by the yeah. stats. Um, and just because he played so many games, that was the, you know, and he hasn't been injured this year. Remember, we talked all about They're that in the preseason. Well. We talked all about, like, I guarantee you, he might not have an injured season. And look at this, for 12 games through, that Dude, shows if he's, if he's healthy, he's going to have such a fantasy impactful season. <laughs> That's what we thought. But <laughs> no one can really do that in this Jason Garrett offense with Daniel Jones right now, unfortunately. And hopefully that will change. But the point is, I mean, like, it may not be as bad as that. Maybe that was an exaggeration. That was so hard to watch. They were running 11 personnel, 90% of the snap. Dude, I get what you're saying, and I feel like there's there's like some – I don't want to say a disconnect between us. I feel like we're on a, a very yeah. similar page. For me, it's just – I don't think it's as easy as just saying, oh, let's just change it. Mm-hmm. And I don't I know you don't think that either, no. but I feel like a lot of people just have that impression. There's so much that goes into changing an offense. And maybe on the other side of it, it would end up being better, but like that really could ruin – Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones also hasn't shown that much this season. Now, is that a product of the truncated offseason? Is that a product of X, Y, and Z? There's a lot of different excuses and variables that need to kind of be considered. But if, if we let it breathe, maybe it could get better. After this game, man, if it stays status quo these next couple games, I mean, like, like you said, man, you really need to explore options because this outing against Arizona defense that wasn't all that great. It was, it was pretty pathetic. Now, I'm of the mindset that a lot of it does lay on Daniel Jones as well, but I do believe, even from the beginning of the game, Daniel Jones was uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm just kind of looking at his body language on the broadcast and then looking at him just throughout the entire game. Even when he was rolling right to me, he didn't look the same. He looked like he was a little tentative. And it's I just think the, the playbook was really restricted. I'm not making excuses for Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett did not have a good game plan. It was not executed well in the adjustments. Dan, what's on my piece of paper here? Adjustments. Adjustments. They need to happen. They did not happen enough, not effectively, against this defense. So I'm not trying to make excuses, but I do feel like the Giants have a a quarterback who may be at 50% in this game. The one play that we went over, I don't even know what it was, but I don't know if that had anything to do with his injured right hamstring, but it was that that, that mesh route that he threw to Evan Ingram. If you early guys, in the game. Early yeah. in the game. I think it was on a third and seven. If you guys go, and I think it was in the first quarter, and watch this game, maybe the beginning of the second quarter, watch that play. 
I don't know what Daniel Jones was doing with that hurt leg on that play. I don't know if he was doing that because he thought he might have threw a pick to an undercutting defender, but his mechanics were so jacked up when he released the football there, and it probably was another reason why it was incomplete, but at the same time, the coverage was blanketed. You should not have threw really that football. But when I saw his footwork, I was like, what the heck is going on there? Yeah, no, I totally get it, and it's such a tough thing to consider but one thing I do want to talk about and it stood out to me in this game plan and I think it's important for our listeners to at least hear it and consider it it's that on the flip side of things we praised how much the Cardinals did a great job of using pre-snap motion to confuse the Giants to get receivers running or running backs or running backs at times running in a certain direction and then faking like they're going to them but then they go into their route and that really got the Giants at times a lot of pre-snap motion a lot of misdirection and both before and after the snap is there really any excuse, even with a 50% quarterback, because I don't think that really makes it so you can't do it, for Jason Garrett to come out here and use essentially no pre-snap motion and mixed direction in this game plan? He had some pre-snap no, okay. motion. Okay, when I say yeah, essentially, yeah, I, yeah. the key word there is essentially. What I mean yeah, by yeah. that is not nearly enough. Not nearly enough, not nearly as creative enough, not really as deceptive enough. No, I don't think there is an excuse for that. I, I, I'm big, and I feel like everybody who follows the NFL, you're big on pre-snap motion. I mean, it helps identify the defense, and it also changes assignments of the defense. It does a lot to kind of give you that edge, and that's all you're looking for in football. You're looking for a slight edge, so why not employ more pre-snap motion to give yourselves that slight edge? So no, there's there's no excuse from that. That's something that we've been on Garrett for in the past, and then he'd come out next game and, oh, wow, that, that pre-snap motion. And usually when the pre-snap motion is accompanied by a big play, then it really kind of shows. It's just sometimes he uses pre-snap motion, and then the big play doesn't happen. Yes. So there's also that element to it, but I would love to see more creative pre-snap motion kind of like what cliff kingsbury did against the giants defense which we'll go over in the next podcast for sure and there were times that he would motion that jones would motion back lewis and that would kind of show if they were in man or zone and that was kind of to me most of the extent of what i saw from the pre-snap they they use shepherd a couple times shepherd a couple times across they sometimes motion him in on a obvious run play to block (laughs) which is like so so telling um but you know, for the most part, this was not a creative game plan from a pre-snap and misdirection standpoint, and that's another really big knock on Garrett, and that, you know, is just a cherry on top, because even if he had used that, it still wouldn't have been a great way to, you know, attack what Vance Joseph did, but, you know, it's just another tip in that, you know, how many excuses can we continue to make for this guy? It, it, it wears on me, Nick. It really does. This was a very difficult game to get through, but I want to talk also, Nick, with you about, you know, some of just how how like the margin of error in football is so so thin you look at that first that you know the first drive it's first and 10 13 22 or i'm sorry it's not first it's second and 10 13 08 and you get that sack fumble that can really flip the momentum of a game because although you know the giants didn't give up any points there they had to punt from within their own end zone and they gave up great field position and it became a game where you have that combined with at six nothing Deion Lewis fumbles that football these plays are just flipping games and it's really interesting to me when you watch on the all 22 it reminds me all the Giants losses this year I feel like there's been just a few plays that have kind of flipped the momentum in the game absolutely man and that play specifically was huge nobody accounted for Marcus Golden coming in and Joe Judge I think said after the game that it was a collective fault towards the offense it looks like Caden Smith I know they're trying to do play action you want to create double teams to sell the play action but maybe Wayne Gallman was supposed to kind of fake that play action and go right to the side it looks like Caden Smith just blocked down because credit to Vance Joseph again the 
Arizona Cardinals are lined up just a ton of people from within the tight end to the center. There's four down yeah. linemen that are bet- to the strength of the and formation. And two wide nines. Yes, the two Crazy. wide nines, and then one of them kicks Six out to a on one line. technique. So you have three defensive linemen that you have to block with these four offensive linemen. That sounds good, but you don't know where these defensive linemen are going to go. And the thing is, the end, tight end, I should say, Evan Ingram runs a route. So Kane Smith wants to kind of help block down here. And I guess he, there was some sort of miscommunication with this, with this protection call because he doesn't fan out and block Marcus Golden here. And it results in just nobody accounting for him. I'm not sure if that was on Wayne Gallman or Kane Smith specifically, but somebody missed an assignment. Yeah. And this was a really good way. What Vance Joseph did was a really, you know, we've talked a lot on previous podcasts about how the Giants have started to use and lean on at times this look with three tight ends at the end on the line of scrimmage and eight guys on the line of scrimmage. Well, what I've seen is a lot of defenses using four or five guys down. What the Cardinals did here is they put, like Nick said, four interior guys and then two edges in the wide nine. This is a great way to counter this look by the Giants. Giants feel like, oh, Jason Garrett's put it on tape a bunch. He thinks he's got something on them. Nope. This is how you counter. This is really good coaching. This is really good game planning. And it really, in this regard, really paid off for the Cardinals because the Giants had a miscommunication, like Nick said, and it allowed a free rusher off the edge. And if I was a betting man, I think this might be Wayne Gallman's assignment. I think he's supposed to take this play action and just immediately go towards his right to locate the unblocked guy off the off the edge because everybody else kind of slides down, takes advantage of that cluster of defensive linemen that is to the right side of the Giants' offensive line. I'm not sure uh, who was accredited with the sack officially, but I'm pretty sure it would probably be Wayne Gallman. Let's talk a little good, though, because there was some good in this game. Um, so I want to talk about the third and four by the Giants at their own 35 with 618 left in the second quarter. And Jones has nothing open on his right. And I think he does a good job in a game where I thought he actually struggled a lot with his post-snap processing and reads. He does a good job here working back to his left to hit Slayton on the slant. It's a really, really, really difficult NFL caliber throw, not to mention he's getting slammed by the pass rush here and almost and almost sandwiched by two pass rushers but to come back and throw that ball that ball goes a mat that go goes a really far distance this is an nfl caliber throw it's only an 11 yard gain but the ball travels about 20 25 yards in the air to get there and it's just an excellent job by jones here it's a full full field progression right here that jones goes yes. through and then again we, we bashed jones a little bit in the beginning but he's looking towards his right he reads the route concept on the smash to the right side of the line of scrimmage realizes it's not there with the man coverage and he comes back to that double curl and fires a pass from the far hash towards out to outside the numbers to darius slayton that's a very good play from daniel jones and he had a couple plays that were very nice throws uh, solid reads he just still is leaving plays on the field which is something that i feel like we criticize him for rightfully yeah there's still just so many times with jones where he makes the decision before the snap which has been his thing it's been his thing since duke and it's continuing. I mean, that third and one was a great example. We talked about it earlier. Caden Smith's wide open. He just he doesn't see it because he never wants to see it. He only looks left to hold the safety, and he's going to Shepard no matter what there. And that's okay at times, but you have to, you know, you're going to leave a lot of plays on the field when you're determining things before the snap. He left a big one there. He obviously left a big one with Deion Lewis as well earlier in the game. But I want to talk a little bit about a play that really, you know, rubs some Giants analysts, fans, whatever you want, whoever you want to group in this, I would consider both in that regard the wrong way and it was the whole sequence from third and one with the shepherd throw 
to the fourth and one decision to punt the ball. Now, all season long, I've been one of the few people, because, you know, in these parts, among Giants fans, Joe Judge is a god. Now, for me, Patrick Graham is a god, and Joe Judge is a good coach that I don't think is anywhere close to a god yet. And part of why I don't think he's anywhere close to a god yet is that I think he makes a lot of conservative decisions that end up costing the Giants. This was one of them to me. If you're going to design a play where your pre-snap read is to throw that vertical slot fade to Sterling Shepard, and you're determined to go there, you you go to the extent of looking left to hold the safety for a second and then firing the football after basically at one hitch, you have to make the decision when you're down 20-7 to and your running game has all game long been able to generate positive yards with the exception of a terrible decision to run the football with Alfred Morris on one first and 10, which we're going to get to later. The running game had a lot of successful run plays. So in this spot, I get it. You're backed up inside your own 20, but it's 20 to 7. Time is running out in this game. There is not enough time here to punt the football like they did to the 50. Because by the way, Riley Dixon, a guy who I know you've praised in the past, Nick, I think he's on the verge of getting cuttable. It was another horrendous game by him. He had a 34-yard punt in this one. Yeah, special had, teams in general just Special teams in general have Christian been Kirk bad. did what he wanted. But Riley Dixon has been really bad for a few games now. And I do not think Riley Dixon is a good punter in the league. I'd love to look at his stats. I don't look too deep into punter stats, but I'll take a look after this pod to see if I can confirm that. I feel like he's had very few great punts inside the five, first of all, very few coffin corners, and then just some of these disastrous 34-yarders. But... It's fourth and one, man. You're down 20 to seven. You really can't afford to not try to run a play, a run play there for a yard because you're going to get that yard most likely the way you've been running the football and you're going to give yourself a chance to win the football game. When you punt there, you're really just not giving yourself a chance to win in my opinion. I actually agree with you uh, 100% because I do feel like at that it's the final minute of the third quarter. You kind of need a spark play. I kind of think the primary read though was the slant flat to Caden Smith and Daniel Jones made an executive decision to come off of that and then go for that slot usually I'm not against that I think in this moment of the game you you may want to try to get a big play but there was no point in that route where Darius Slayton I'm sorry Sterling Shepard had leverage against that covering defender and the throw still almost got there but I think you just go for that low percentage or that high percentage play to Caden Smith. It was a well-executed route concept outside. And Daniel Jones, I think that was his decision. So I don't really want to knock the coaching staff as much. And I think we had the same discussion on the reaction pod. Oh, no, I, I'm not knocking the coaching staff yeah. at all. Not, not At least not knocking Jason Garrett at all. Jason Garrett does a great job on this. He gets a wide open Caden Smith and he gets a Sterling Shepard with the opportunity. We read it a little differently. I thought I saw Jones just look left for a split second just to hold the safety because if he looks left longer than a split second, he's going to see a wide open Gaden Smith. He was open from the start. The Evan Ingram slant there on that slant flat takes two defenders and it gets them in conflict and they kind of creates a natural pick. But I think more so he kind of looked left and took that one hitch and took that throw. I'm fine with the decision even to go for a 30 yard shot like that on third and one as long as Joe Judge, the head coach, has dialed up and said to his guys, We're going for it if we don't get it on fourth and one. And because he doesn't go for it there and he decides not to go for it and he made that decision probably even before the play. I don't love the throw, but I think that that shouldn't be, you know, it should, I, I'm not never going to knock the quarterback for making that throw. 
or I'm sorry, not the, the offensive coordinator for dialing up that play, but I am going to knock the head coach for just another very conservative decision. Again, it hasn't haunted the Giants as much, some of these games, some of these weeks, but it will. It will moving forward. You cannot coach to not win. You, I mean, I'm sorry, coach to not lose. You have to coach to win, in my opinion, at least, and that's what all the best coaches do, and I think, you know, I'm hoping that grows a little bit with Judge, but I, ultimately, I think, like, it, there's a large enough sample size now to consider this might just be who he is. I'm a Joe Judge guy. I am too. That's yeah, not to yeah. say I'm not. But I, I agree with you. I do feel like they should have went for it there at that point in the game, given the context of the entire game and the score and the time. Yeah, and it's so it's obviously this is just one little thing that, you know, I may have a knock yeah. on Judge for. Ultimately I'd so much rather have a guy who's not a coordinator on the other side of the ball. I've always been a long term believer in the CEO type coaches, the Harb the John Harbaugh's, the guys who play the role of you know not coaching either not coordinating at either side because i think that puts you in conflict and gives it tough i think they're playing super hard for judge i think he does a good job of teaching i think he's hired a great staff there's so many good things about joe judge he's coaxed out five wins from a roster that i think dave gettleman's done terrible with he had one good offseason in 2020 but he's had unbelievable capital for three straight classes and he's done very little with it in my opinion in the draft i mean the giants right now are getting more from their 2020 free agent class in my opinion than they're getting from any of those three combined draft classes when you consider just overall impact of Bradbury, Logan Ryan, and Blake Martinez on this football team right now versus what, you know, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Will Hernandez, uh, Xavier McKinney, who's been injured all season, DeAndre Baker, who's out of the NFL for the Giants, uh, Dexter Lawrence is an interior guy, but he's not making the same income, you know, those draft classes, which is supposed to be Gettleman, you know, you can't, you can't botch those things. But with all that said, I'm giving credit to Judge for what he's done with this team. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, I would like him to be a little more aggressive in those spots for sure, and we'll see what happens with that. But I got another thing, Nick. I got one more gripe I want to get to, and then I want to talk to you about some you know, loose ends you might have had with the offense, and we'll wrap up there. So here's my gripe, Nick. It's 12-23. There's 12-23 left in the entire game, Nick, okay? The last time the Giants had the ball, they had punted on the fourth and one we were just discussing. So now you're down 16 points, right? So what do you do here? What do you do? You're Jason Garrett. You're the Giants offense. You're down 16 points. There's only 12.33 left in the game. What do you do here? Oh, we got a great play dialed up. It's a two-receiver set. We're going to motion that one receiver back right over the tackle in a prime run-blocking position. We got 41 in the game, and we're going to slam Alfred Morris into the line for a negative one to set up second and 11. What the hell, man? Like, this is just so... I this Everything about this irks me. Yeah, I don't like this either. And this was, I'm trying to think if this was going to be a designed cutback run by the blocking because Alfred Morris cuts it back to an unblocked defender, but that's where Sterling Shepard was. I'm not sure if Matt Parrott was supposed to kind of take care of Hassan Reddick there, but I just think it was the Giants losing at the point of attack and it didn't even necessarily matter. I, I don't agree with the play call by Jason Garrett in this specific spot either. I wanted them to kind of spread it out a little bit more, maybe use 11 personnel with that. Tempo. Kind of go up tempo, try to throw something different at the Arizona Cardinals, and he did not. And again, that's another gripe that I do have with the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants. And not to knock the guy. I've tried to be nice to him. I've tried to be fair. But in t- with 12.33 left and you're down 16 points, you can't have Alfred Morris in the game. You got to have Wayne Gallman or Deion Lewis in the game. Yeah. And you can't be lining up in this tight bunch. You know, this. I'm sorry, not bunch. This tight formation where you're motioning the receiver into basically obviously tell off that he's going to be blocker on this play and then you from the single back formation from under center you're running 41 into the line it's just you can't do it you got to go more tempo there and you got to spread it out like you said and you got to start to attack to try to put points on the board 
to his credit, he actually went a little bit more up-tempo. The next two plays were no huddle. They didn't pick up a first down, though, and Daniel Jones was sacked on third and four by who else but Hassan Reddick, <laughs> who set the sack record Oof. for the Arizona Cardinals. And single he just, game. Single game. He just went right around. And who's been basically a bust his entire career until this season. Yeah, Temple product, of course, around this area. We've you know? made the guy who has been a, a total draft bust for them look like an all-pro. Yes, yes. Now, a lot of it, a lot of it was schemed. At the same time, he yes. beats Andrew Thomas pretty bad on this specific play with a nice chop, rip, dip around the edge type of move to sack Daniel Jones. And it was at this point where I was like, "You got to get Daniel Jones out of this <laughs> damn football game before yes. he gets killed." And he, and to his credit, they got Jones out of the game. Yeah, I and think then after the strike, Colt McCoy got sacked two times. Oh, you yeah. know, so it it's, was... and of course they could pin their ears back at that point. It's not even they didn't even have to earlier in the game, and they were still getting pressure against this Giants offensive line. I mean, this was the worst that we've seen the Giants offensive line in quite some time. Yeah, it reminded you of kind of those early, early 2018, 2017, to an extent 2019 games. Not necessarily as much 2019, more 2017, 2018, 2016, where they were just those early games against Dallas always stood out to me on Sunday oh, Night Football where. Wow. They would just use those t- those stunts and just destroy that offensive line. Yeah, those those games were really tough. I mean, I thought Lemieux had a really poor game. I thought bo- basically every tackle had a poor game, Andrew Thomas included. I thought Nick Gates had a couple reps that weren't that great, but I thought he probably played the best of all the, the offensive best, linemen, I think, yeah. if I had to pick one, for sure. sure. And uh, again, we we're not seeing Will Hernandez enough, in my opinion. I think uh, there was one play where I think Will Hernandez might have been credited for the sack, but it was definitely a covered sack if he did even receive it because he blocked the guy for like three and a half, four seconds, then finally pushed him up and out of the pocket, but the guy kind of came back down on Daniel Jones and sacked him. And what was the snap count for our good friend Will Hernandez in this game? Shane Lemieux played 38 snaps, and Will Hernandez only played 11, so that's not improving. And again, Shane Lemieux looked pretty uh, suspect, I guess you could say, against the... Uh, as a pass protector. Yeah, it's interesting. Goog said something about that. Goog said, as far as Shane Lemieux goes, his struggles are coming because his pad level is too high. And he said it's hard when you're that tall and a guy will use the inside power move. He said Oregon also has played, you know, his coaching at Oregon played a role in this because it's a very finesse blocking scheme there. And he's now learning how to play with power. He thinks he's a savvy guy with a great motor and he thinks that he'll it'll come to him. But, you know, there's obviously a reason, whatever it may be, that they're playing him 38 snaps and they're playing Hernandez 11. And also on the flip side, they're playing Cameron Fleming, who's not very good at tackle, 38 snaps, and Matt Parrott, 11. And it kind of seems like right now they're settled in, at least over these last top two games, of having Hernandez and Parrott play on the same, you know, on the same downs and in the same series. And that's interesting. I don't know what the, you know, long-term thinking of that or the short-term thinking of that, but I, I still remain confused about the Hernandez-Lemuse net splits, and I and I probably will for the rest of the season, I'm sure. Parrot, I, mean, I love Matt Parrott. I think he has a bright future here in New York, but he had a rep that was incredibly bad and gave up a sack, got Daniel Jones killed pretty badly. So the he young, might not be ready, yeah. The young guys are, are still struggling, but in this game, the entire unit struggled as a whole, and even sure. the veteran of the group, Kevin Zeitler, had his worst game, maybe as a New York Giant, in terms of pass protection. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, Nick, anything else you want to talk on about the offense, or do you want to wrap this thing up and move on to the defense? Let's wrap it up and move it on to the defense. Hopefully move on from this mediocre, <laughs> yeah. sub-mediocre football that we saw on Sunday. Yeah, it, it, it it's so disappointing, not just because, you know, we came off such a high off that Seattle win, one of the best wins this franchise has had 
really since 2016 week 14 against the Cowboys really around the same time of the year just one week earlier and it would have been so good it would we would have all felt so good if they had come out with a really good game plan to attack Arizona and they and you know they had won that game as well but it is what it is they're still alive they got the Browns this week it's a must-win game in my mind at least um, because I think Baltimore is gonna be really difficult on the road we'll see what happens in this game there's a lot to talk about we'll preview that but just wanted to shout out all of the listeners of this podcast that have made the decision to head over to our iTunes account because you love us and on our iTunes account you've given us ratings and reviews which we fully appreciate because you are the ones who are helping our show grow you're the ones who are helping our show get viewed by more people who have never seen the podcast we're hearing more and more from people both via our, our DMs on Twitter and you know in the reviews and such that they're just stumbling upon our podcast now. That's thanks to you guys who have taken the time to rate and review us. So I want to give a couple shout outs. I want to start out with ConMac19 who said, I finally figured out how to leave a rating. I had my daughter help. Great podcast last night. Love the perspective from Arizona's beat writer. Interview format was most enjoyable. So first of all, thank you to your daughter, ConMac, because we're now big fans of her because she just got us a five-star review. And here's a big one, a massive breaking news review, a five-star review. Who would have thought? It's Kwame Zilla. Of all people, Kwame, our boy Kwame Zilla, has upgraded us. The start was a one-star review from Kwame. Then he upgraded us to a four-star. He said he liked it, but he still wasn't ready to drop the five bomb. And there it is. December 11th, 2020, Kwame Zilla has hit us with a five-star review. He says, yo, guys, so proud of y'all. Finally, a complete Giants podcast. Never meant any harm. Just wanted this to be the go-to source of Giants content. Nick, nice work of the ads. Laugh out loud. Your U's still are a little too strong, but much better. Keep up the good work. And that's uh, – thank you, Kwame Zilla. I, <laughs> I love constructive criticism, and I'm glad that it's only my use that is getting you upset and not just my entire ad read. So thank you so much for the review, my friend. Without a doubt. And for those of you who want to also help us grow, head over to Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter on Instagram. Sean's running our content there, and he's doing a hell of a job. So find us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. Every day I look at that page, we have new followers. We're all the way up to 734, which is freaking awesome. And there's such good content over there. And then finally, stay tuned on the Big Blue Panther podcast feed all week. We're going to have a preview of the Browns game. We're going to obviously drop the All-22 defense after this. And then that OC Human Yora interview, we promise, will be dropping later this week as well. So it's a big week for the BBB podcast. Keep it locked and loaded, and we'll talk to you soon. Triple B. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.